0: Jaquanda Johnson is the Flint journalist who started her own publication to tell the stories of the Flint water crisis that no one else was bothering to tell. On this episode of Created Equal, my conversation with Flint journalist Jaquanda Johnson. We founded on the principle, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that all men are created equal. My next guest is Jaquanda Johnson. She is the founder of Flint Beat, and she is also its publisher. Uh, She's a journalist who's got uh, almost two decades of experience, and she was covering Flint water crisis here when she decided that Flint needed its own publication focused only on Flint. And Flint Beat was launched uh, March 13th, 2017, to fill that need. Jaquanda, welcome. Thank you. Tell me about when you started to cover the Flint water crisis.
1: Um, I've had the privilege of working in three newsrooms, including my own, um, since the water crisis. When I first became concerned about the water, it was in 2014. We had a series of boil advisory alerts throughout the city. Um, It was confusing, and I happened to be at NBC25, and I remember being in a newsroom and a council person called, and there was a boil advisory alert. A council person called, and he was saying his nephew had drank the water, and he was throwing up blood. Uh, the well producer, Matt Bliker, he, he looked at me, and he said, this water thing is not over. He was like, this is just the beginning. And we kept an eye on it locally. All the local newsrooms, they were writing collections of stories about this rash of oil advisory alerts it just wasn't getting picked up nationally. After that, you know, like I have family predominantly on the north end of Flint. And when the crisis did catch national attention and lead kits started rolling out, my grandfather is almost 90 and he lives on the north end of Flint in the first ward. And I remember going to his home, his lead kit was on the counter. And I'm like, hey, granddaddy, you know, uh, you're not getting your water tested. He said, I stopped using the water when it connected to the Flint River. You know, being a person from Flint, I'm 43, uh, born and raised in the Flint area. I just remember the stories and, that we would say about the Flint River and the things that you could find in the Flint River and just, you know, from being around here. And so I guess in one breath I was surprised that he hadn't tested his water But then in another, I wasn't surprised that he didn't want to drink the water, you know. And so my journey really was from a, a very, very personal experience as I watched my family go through it or a cousin calling me first thing in the morning because she woke up and someone overnight had delivered all these cases of water and left them on their porches. You know, in one breath, she said she wanted to be grateful, but in another way, she was embarrassed about this whole crisis and the struggles that Flint was going through. Or um, my ex-husband, he lived in the city of Flint, and I remember getting the mail, and my daughter had a food benefit card. I hadn't applied for it, but somewhere in there, it was noted that she spent time in the city of Flint. I live two minutes outside of the city now. And so in feeling angry about that, and being from this community, and seeing people out and going to these meetings and some going as a community member, but not necessarily media. So I've been privy to a lot of behind the door conversation as we took this journey. It's just been a, a roller coaster of emotion. And even being here because I read Dr. Mona's book, you know, it gave me an excuse to read a book because this is work for me. <laughs> and um, I read the book and now I'm sitting here, I'm kind of, I'm shaking a little because I just started taking this journey, and it reopened up some wounds and emotions that I didn't know were still there, and that I have to still kind of navigate through.
0: Wow. Wow. So, so uh, in February of 2016, you were quoted uh, in Media Matters for America saying the Flint water crisis went under the media's radar. It was lost in what's trending on Twitter, who liked what on Facebook, and the next pop and pics on Instagram. Journalists have become lazy. We wait for the obvious and jump on trends. Flint's water crisis didn't make the social media cut, so it was missed. It didn't make headlines like the Charleston killings, Ferguson protests or over Michael Brown's death, or Ed Garner's choking. Is it racism? Is it classism? Is it both or neither? I don't know. So that's Three years ago. Three years ago.
1: Yeah. Um, I do still had the fire in me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you feel the same way now about uh, about how the media has handled this?
1: Of course I do. Okay. And I'm part of the media. Um, I know that there are things that need to be FOIA, issues that need to be looked at. There's so many health issues in Flint right now that no one is looking at. That It's, it's just a daunting task. I'm one person in my newsroom. And last year we had the Society of Environmental Journalists here. And I gave a tour of the city of Flint and I took them on a real tour. We went on the east side, we went on the north side, they went to a senior center. And what I told these journalists, there's about 40 of them. And I said, you know, I said, I'm glad you're here. I said, but if you do not tell these stories, if you do not write about this, you may as well not be here at all. I think I've seen maybe five stories. With 40 news reporters, I have 40 news reporters standing in a yard on the north end of Flint talking to one of the youngest Legionnaires' cases that the city's had. She has since died. You know, so I feel like, as a journalist, no, we're not doing our jobs. We we use excuses. We talk about management and our hands being tied with metrics and analytics. But we got this beautiful thing called the Internet. You know, um, if we just took a little time and used our voices to shed light on these issues and tapped into the resources we have, we could be doing a much better job.
0: So that's a great way to segue to talk about Flipbeat, uh, which you founded to to try to do this differently, right?
1: Yeah, I'm trying. Um, Again, (laughs) I'm a newsroom of one. Uh, On occasion, I do get freelancers. I have a really, really great young man named Andrew Roth that covers state. News for me. He's just awesome. That was sent by way of another local journalist, Tom Sumner. I have a list of about 40 stories right now that I've had for about a year and a half. And they're still not.
0: 40 stories you feel like need to be done. They
1: need to be done. And no other news outlet has did them. We have three TV stations here in Flint. We have one legacy newspaper here in Flint. Myself. And I can think of three other niche publications here in the city of Flint. And it's just not being done. The stories are just not being reported. As as it's been said many times before, Flint is not just in a water crisis. We have other issues in this city. And I just don't think that we're doing our jobs.
0: So talk about the effect of your journalism, which is now separate from... You know the legacy uh, institutions and organizations in town. Is it having an effect on the, on on those organizations? Is it is it saying to them, effectively, you know, uh, change the way you do things and maybe pay more attention to these things?
1: Uh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I work well with one TV news station here. So so this is what happens to me. I get stories all the time. I get phone calls. I get emails, and, and I'm not one of those publishers or media owners that really cares that I have to be first or I have to be the only publication to do this story. And so when I don't have time, I share. And so I have one TV station that worked really well with me. If I called a reporter, gave a tip, they will get on it. I just don't see them as my competition. And it's because the way I approach news. I'm a Flint girl, and so... I start with Flint and then I work my way up. For me, what's important is the resident's voice, the community's voice, not what elected officials have to say, even though I love the congressman. Um, I just feel like that these are the people who haven't been heard. And I never say uh, voiceless. They have a voice, they just didn't have a platform. I service that platform, that vehicle, so that if they have an issue, they can be heard. I have literally written a story about a bacterial issue in Flint that no other agency was covering, called the health department, was lied to, and then the next day they dropped a press release about that bacteria. You know, I, it's just so much that needs to be done here. I don't know what effect I have outside of, I remember covering City Hall, working my butt off and looking up and finally they started sending someone too. Mm. You know, I had a journalist tell me, well, you've been covering city hall every day. (laughs) It seems like they finally sent me out here, you know, which is great because I just want the city covered. I just want us to have an impact. I just want us to empower and inform the community. And so I guess for me, I don't have the agendas. I don't, I'm not making the salaries, you know, that some newsroom managers make. I, um, I don't really care about the clicks and the metrics. I don't, you know, I care that when I go to a meeting or if I'm out in the community with my kids, somebody says, hey, I read that story or because I read that story or I didn't know that. That's really how I gauge things. And I'm out there enough to be able to do it. As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in our mobile app. That way.
0: Uh, do, do you think um, uh, the crisis itself might not have unfolded the way it did if media had been paying t- attention differently than they were?
1: That's a loaded one. Um <laughs> I know it would have. At one point, we had something called investigative reporting, right? You know, and it was a beautiful thing. You know, as a journalist, you was a watchdog over these systems. And you didn't care if ads were selling. You were just out there to make a difference in communities. I think that when the talks of the switch started, when literally when they say, we're considering doing this, as journalists, we should have dug deeper, including the history of Flint. I mean, some stuff was too obvious. You know, um, the factories being here, the reasons why the city wasn't connected to the Flint River anyway. The river's already always been there, right? And so we we should have been asking those questions. And we weren't. And now we're here. And I say we. I include myself. At the time, I was not in Michigan. But I include myself in that. I should have asked more questions, too. In 2014, I was working in a newsroom.
0: Uh, you recently wrote about uh, Mayor Karen Weaver, who is uh, seeking re-election. Um, has she put in enough effort uh, to deal with this crisis?
1: There you go again.
0: Um, <laughs> you wrote about it.
1: <laughs> I have I wrote so many stories. Uh, <laughs> but I think that, no. And then that's all transparency there. I, I think that her coming in, she was very green, new to politics. You know, I think that there was so much damage done and so much baggage there that it was impossible for her to come in as green as she was, as new as she was, and tackle a problem like this. I feel the same about some of the people she put in place in departments. This was a crisis that no one had a book to navigate through this. And if you were not a person that already knew the systems and how to work it, that made it even worse. Like, I'm still confused as to why Flint's infrastructure is not done. You know, what's taking so long replacing these pipes? You know, why do we keep going left and right when there's a straight line? You know, just replace the pipes. I think that if the people who did the damage had to do the repair, we might be in a better place. You know, I think that that should have really been state led for that to happen. But it's we're in a situation of learning when we need experts
0: expand the, 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 the critique there to, to leadership more generally. Uh, oftentimes, we see crisis inspire leadership or new leadership uh, in communities, and that new leadership comes forward and, and does things differently and, and maybe gets things uh, done more effectively. Has that started to happen here in Flynn, in your opinion? Are you anticipating that it will?
1: Oh, yeah. I think the crisis birth some really, really strong community activists, people who probably didn't know they had it in them until the crisis happened, right? We started to see new faces, new people popping up at city council, folks protesting, they're just ready. But they're the same people today. It's like the same faces that I saw when this crisis caught in the national spotlight are the same faces that I see at every meeting on every panel, <laughs> every protest, you know, I would have liked it to expand more. But they are there. They are working. They need self care. Um, remember that. If you see an activist, give them a hug, um, because this is hard work. We're talking about a city of almost almost one hundred thousand people. Almost those numbers have dropped. Um, and maybe, maybe. 15 to 20 strong activists that they even have like these inner turmoils and things and can't come together and work. And there's all these little different fights that I see, you know, is but this is one young lady, um, Ariana Hawk. Ariana lived on the south side of Flint in a um, low income apartment complex. Since the crisis, her son has been featured on Time Magazine. She pops up at City Hall protesting. She's out there with get out to vote. You know, it's it's a transition that in her life, she probably never expected it to happen. You know, she was living on the South Side, a low-income mother on the South Side of Flint. And then a water crisis happened. And it hit her family really hard. You know, so, so to see young people like that vocal, still doing her, still rocking her Jordans with her little flavor, you know, but she's making an impact and she's reaching people her age. She's reaching millennials that some of us, we just we can't reach them.
0: Uh, before we started uh, today, you were talking to me about how big of an issue crime is mm-hmm. in Flint. Talk, and that that is another issue that's not getting the attention uh, that it should um, talk about uh, talk about what's going on there.
1: I think it's getting attention, but not how we should approach it. One of our goals at Flint Beat was to introduce solutions journalism to the city, and that is not just focusing on a problem, but seeing how the community is maybe coming together to solve it, or how other communities are solving it. And so we have a page dedicated to gun violence, and in it we wrote a story about. Uh, Cure violence and violence interrupters and what this looks like and how it's being implemented in other communities. I think that, of course, we see the stories that say, you know, X, Y, and Z was shot on this day, they're dead. But we don't see, oh, maybe we need to take this to the community and have conversation and start organizations you know, right in the thick of these communities with people who are from those communities, people that are recognized in those communities, people that neighbors know so that we can decrease this. Like, what does that look like? We're not even looking at things like that. We automatically look at things like, we need more police. That might not be the answer. And in my research, I'm finding out it isn't. You know, we just need a stronger community base and support Right there, where it's happening, because one neighbor, one person in the community could find out that somebody is having an issue with another person in the community and they might be able to intercede. But as it stands right now, we keep looking at more police, more service people, instead of us taking back our communities, the places we live in where this is happening. You know, they're looking at it from afar, they're looking from downtown, right? You know, we don't even have enough police officers to <laughs> patrol the whole city, so they're looking from afar, and we need to do it right there where it is, the heart of the problem, and step up and take care of our own neighborhoods. That's the only way it's going to get done. Like I, Go ahead. Dr. Mona, in her book, she said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And she quoted Dr. Seuss DeLorex. That's a powerful statement. If they are not like you, if they haven't been through your journey, they might not understand you or what you need to get the job done, right? So ain't nobody better to do it but you. And so we have to start thinking like that. Instead of looking for these officials and these people to take care of us, we're going to take care of each other. It starts with our neighborhoods and our communities and us.
0: Okay, Jaquandrick Johnson of Flintbeat, thanks very much for being here. Thank you. <laughs> On the next episode of Created Equal, we'll talk with the first mayor in the country to successfully push to remove all lead water lines in his city. Our kids are drinking this water, so we just assumed the answer would be, everything's fine. That here's the data, here's the testing, surely we're testing the water for lead. But actually there was a real issue and we were convinced, and so we decided the lead pipes had to go. Created Equal is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Our executive producer is Joan Cherry Isabella, our producers are Elena Fruget, Jake Neer, and Anna-Marie Seisling. Our sound engineers are Matt Trevethan, Rowan Niamisto, and Rasan Cherry. Senior editor and musical composer is Sam Bobian. Our digital and social media team is Maida Stangi, Shiraz Ahmed, and Tony Brown. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson.